Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to share with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I'm talking to Elle Mace coach and mentor, intuitive eating coach, and nutrition and weight management coach. Elle is also training with the National Center for Eating Disorders, gaining therapeutic skills to support people struggling with eating disorders and disordered eating. Previously, Elle has worked as a personal trainer and aerobics instructor, having a passion for health and fitness. In the past, Elle struggled with an unhealthy relationship with food and her body, this starting at the tender age of 10 years old when she received unwanted comments about her body. Clearly, this had a huge impact on her body image and self-esteem, and Elle began to starve herself and then understandably fell into binge eating. Over several years, she fell into destructive cycles, impacting her physical and mental well-being. Fast forward a few years, and Elle decided that enough was enough. She had to free herself from the food demons and fall back in love with her body and with herself. And it wasn't an easy journey. It took much strength, determination and self-care and bravely moving away from the seductions of dieting. I'm pleased to say that today, Elle is in a very different place. She now uses her experience, qualifications and knowledge to help others heal their relationship with food, their bodies and ultimately themselves. She brings much passion and enthusiasm in her work in supporting others after walking this path herself and knowing that real recovery is possible. I'm really looking forward to speaking with Elle today to hear more about her healing journey and the work she does with her clients. Let's get to the conversation. This week's episode is brought to you by the Recover Clinic. So many of us treat and talk to ourselves critically, but that internal narrative hasn't come from nowhere. We weren't born thinking about ourselves and behaving in that punishing way. We came into this world full of joy and wonder with courage, compassion and creativity at our core. Somewhere along the way, we lost that. The Recover Clinic has been a leading treatment provider for eating disorders since 2004 because they know that unresolved trauma is the root cause of that unwell voice and that eating disorders are our response to that trauma. Developed as a means of coping with the shame and pain we feel within when our experiences haven't been validated and we haven't been taught how to deal with them in any other way. Their unique approach looks beyond the presenting symptoms and helps clients to strive for more than just managing their eating disorder. It guides them towards a freer future, provides a safe space to be seen and heard, uncovers who they really are and encourages them to embrace that individual in all areas of their life. Their 12-week recovery program explores how past wounds could be impacting your relationship with food and self today, and supports you to develop a transformational self-caring toolkit featuring clinical and nutritional masterclasses, live Q&As and guest workshops, all designed to empower you to finally say goodbye to your eating disorder and hello to who you are always meant to be. Visit therecoverclinic.co.uk slash edprogram. That's the recoverclinic.co.uk slash edprogram to learn more today. And the link is in the show notes. 
Hi, Elle. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hi, Harriet. Thank you for having me. So, Elle, can I get you first, please, to introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, of course, no problem. So my name is Elle Mace and I am a therapeutic coach working with mainly women, but also some men with disordered eating and body dysmorphia. Okay, no, lovely. So Elle, I know you've been on your own journey in sort of healing with your own sort of issues with food and body image. So could you sort of take us back and tell us a little bit about your story? Yeah, of course. So I'll start from the very beginning. I've suffered with disorder, well, a variety of eating disorders for around 17 years. So it started when I was pretty young, I would say, maybe even before, I think it was around before the age of 10, but it was around the age of 10 that I started to really feel that I had these urges to sort of change the way I looked. And I was really uncomfortable in myself. And I used to compare a lot to all my friends. And that's when I started to manipulate my food choices. So yeah, I think And then from there, it kind of took many different turns. So it started off at that young age of trying to restrict my food intake. So I don't know where I was learning it from at the time. But at that young age, I had sort of got wind that you should reduce your, you know, the amount that you're eating, not necessarily food groups. I don't remember being that young and sort of removing like carbohydrates or fats, but I would just try and eat as little as possible and get through school, which then sort of ultimately ended up in me having quite a lot of like binge eating experiences throughout my teenage years. And then I moved into my sort of like young 20s and I had orthorexia and I wasn't diagnosed with anorexia, but I had sort of signs and symptoms of anorexia. And then as I got through a bit further on into my teens, I then started experiencing bulimia. And it just sort of like I woke up one day and had like a strong urge to to purge, which hadn't actually been there in my previous years. And so went through that. And then I hit rock bottom and just couldn't go on anymore. I tried a few therapies along the way, but I just I don't think I was ready to actually get rid of the disordered eating and I just don't think I sort of found the right people to help me so yeah when I was around the age of sort of 26 27 I reached out and got some more help and went on my the main thing was I took myself on a journey and invested in myself you know time wise and everything to get better and I did and I couldn't believe it I couldn't believe that I could actually live a life free like with food and body freedom because also I've spoken about food there but actually low body image body dysmorphia played a massive part in my journey as well so yeah that's pretty much it in a nutshell Thanks for sharing, Elle. And do you want if I just pick up on a few parts of your story? Yeah, absolutely. You go for it. Sure. So I'm really struck, actually, you were incredibly young, actually, weren't you, when you first had this sort of strong body dissatisfaction and, you know, talk about comparing yourself to others. And do you think, was there a sort of specific trigger for that? I think it was a combination of things. Like, as I'm older now, I work in the industry and I understand it more. There could be an element of sort of, genetics potentially but also environment not in terms of my personal family and my environment with my parents or grandparents in terms of talking about dieting but I think like the friendship groups that I was in had a part to play also I was picked on a little bit so 
I was taller as a child. I ended up being five foot four, which is pretty average, but I was taller as a younger child and I grew out through puberty quite young. So I had, you know, I was picked on a little bit. I was called a few school playground nicknames. And I think that was probably the catalyst for me sort of entering into the dietary chaos. Mm. Yeah, I think it's so hard at that age, isn't it, that we so want to fit in. And if you feel any sort of difference from your peers, and if you're a little bit vulnerable, maybe with your self-worth, you know, it can be really so easy for it to get kind of put onto your body and, you know, then wanting to change somehow to be more accepted or to feel that you're going to be more accepted. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that I even can still feel that feeling now that my self-worth was very much on how I looked. I strongly believe that in order to be for me to be liked and loved and, you know, it sounds silly, but being that age, even, you know, getting into the relationships or whatever it was, I had to look a certain way or I had to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it just shows, doesn't it, just from so young, how that pressure can be really intense. And like we do live in a culture, don't we, where there is so much emphasis on kind of being thin or certain bodies looking a certain way. And, you know, it can be so vulnerable to that. Yeah, so vulnerable. And I don't even really know where I picked it up so young, because as I mentioned, my parents didn't engage in diet culture, but I mm. picked it up from somewhere. And I mean, social media wasn't even a thing back then. So I think it must have just been like television programs or conversations at friends' houses. I know I remember being, you know, really young. I I must have been around 10 being on holiday and I was sat around the swimming pool and watching these other girls who are my age run around in their swimming costumes, jumping in and out of the swimming pool. And I just couldn't, I couldn't believe that they were just able to run around the swimming pool and jump in and out. And me at that young age just couldn't bring myself to walk from the sun lounger to the pool. But at such an age, I don't know, you know, it's not, I'm not entirely sure where that strong feeling came from so young. Mm, It's so interesting, isn't it? And I think, you know, maybe as well, sometimes I know, particularly myself being a therapist, you know, sometimes we can be like looking for these kind of answers or the specific trigger, but sometimes it is just very complex and it can be like many, many things coming together and it's not always easily explainable. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And as I grew up, I was quite interested to find out where it came from. And then as I got older and went through my own you know, journey and training, I realized we don't I don't need to know that. And I'll probably never know that it's going to be a combination of things. And yeah, I think, you know, being called a couple of names, you know, to myself, who was already struggling with low self-worth, who had maybe, you know, seen a program that had cemented that, you know, our appearance was super important, could have been it, you know, just the, mm-hmm. just those three things. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think bullying can be so detrimental, can't it, to our self-worth. And I always think when you're like young like that as well, you're like a little sponge. So when people around you say things, you know, often it can really go to your core, really become internalized, even if it's probably a comment that has no truth in it, or it's, you know, (laughs) not even really from somebody that you would genuinely care about their opinion if you unpicked it but still at that age we are so vulnerable aren't we and you know it can just be kind of bad timing mixing with low self-worth and you know for whatever reason that becomes very sort of cemented um as almost like a bit of a kind of core feeling core belief in yourself yeah definitely it's really scary because I have kids myself now they're both you know super young at the moment but you know I do look at them I think oh there's sometimes nothing you can do because 
you have to allow your kids to go out there and you know go to school and just get on with life but it is scary to think that just a couple of comments like you say wrong timing for you and you know maybe in my development at that stage and lack of emotional resilience and there it was it just it kind of yeah like you say cemented within me. So you talked about later in your 20s you went through a sort of more orthorexic kind of phase were you sort of being very much into sort of wellness culture and like what sort of triggered that with a more emphasis towards sort of being super healthy? Yeah so I've always been very sporty that was something that I was into at school I did all the clubs and you know I've always had a strong interest in keeping fit so the wellness side of it I mean you know now I look back I'm like was it a healthy relationship with exercise I'm not so sure but yeah I was always in the wellness arena always I took some nutrition courses when I was younger as well so I was interested in eating well and it just I just took it to the next level so it was the sort of what's it called like a key word at the moment clean eating mm. and I was obviously hanging out at gyms a lot a lot of my friends were also really into food and exercise so you kind of you are your environment aren't you and so because I was always in it 24 7 with those people doing those things it became a massive part of my life and actually yeah it just became out of control so I was just completely obsessed with eating I'm doing the quotations in the right food I'm not eating processed food and trying to also stay on top of all of the trends. So whatever new protein bar was coming out or protein ball, all the different shakes and juices and trying to sort of, I guess a part of it would be still, was still me trying to fit in really. Mm-hmm. Sure. Well, no, it's a real rabbit hole to go down, isn't it? And I think particularly, like you said, with your environment being in the fitness industry, maybe, I guess you're just very influenced by that with other people doing very similar things and it almost being kind of normalised. Yeah, absolutely. It was normalised in my life, in my, yeah, in that period of time, it was very normal to be quite obsessed with it. And actually I trained as a personal trainer when I was younger and did that for a couple of years. So obviously all of the people I was working with were also very, you know, in order to get a body like this, you must take these supplements or these shakes this many times a day. Or And I was really engrossed in the bad diets as well at that point. Mm, okay. And then you said that it sort of transitioned towards sort of into bulimia. And, you know, so looking back on that, what sense do you make of that? Or was it the restriction became more severe? It, so it was almost inevitable? Or, you know, how do you make sense of that? Yeah, it was a combination of things. I think the restriction became, I was in too big a deficit for too long. So like you say, it's inevitable that my body was just going to fight back. But also I went through a breakup. So I was with an ex-boyfriend for 10 years and we broke up. And actually it was after that that the purging came, that the bulimia part. So I think it was a coping mechanism. You know, I was had strong emotions. I was very sad. So I think it was just my way of sort of getting by. But also it was kind of like a bit of a tornado because I was also in dietary chaos. So it was trying to work through some strong emotions while being in a deficit. It was a bit of a recipe for disaster. Sure. I think it's a great point, isn't it? Because I sometimes think that when we're dieting, we're almost a bit like on a tightrope in terms of our resilience. You know, it's not going to take an awful lot, is it, to sort of knock us off? 
And perhaps that can be maintained when life is not too stressful. But like you're saying, in a way, if you're suddenly dealing with like something like a breakup or, you know, maybe something that has a lot of emotional intensity, you're really vulnerable, I think. And you're going to kind of fall off that tightrope pretty quickly because it's just it's very hard, isn't it? I think, to be kind of dieting and then dealing with that all that emotional turbulence without it becoming quite chaotic and out of control. Oh, absolutely. And then the more out of control you feel, the more you try to control it. And then you become even more out of control. So I really was in chaos then. And I I couldn't understand. And I would think, well, I'm having these binges. So surely I just need to control my food more. And then these binges were getting even more and more frequent. And then I was in that place where I just had to remove this food. And there was also a lot of over-exercising going on as well. But it was actually the bulimia that made me hit rock bottom. And it was actually that that I had to reach out and finally admit to family that I had a problem, which I had been half in denial for a long time, but also just too embarrassed and felt too much shame to tell anyone. So I did. I remember waking up thinking, I don't know what is going on with my body. Like it was so hard to get by each day, not knowing whether it was going to be a restriction day, a binge day, a day where I was, you know, doing too much purging. It was pretty tough. Man, it sounds really tough. And had people sort of recognized that you'd had a problem before that point, you know, had anyone sort of mentioned it to you or tried to open up a conversation? Yes and no. I didn't get challenged too much. I think, unfortunately, in society, it's a lot easier not to bring things up, isn't it, to people? So Mm. in case you offend someone or upset somebody, but I probably didn't make myself really approachable to, you know, for someone to talk to me about it. I had the odd comments at times, like, you know, we're a bit worried about your weight. But I was, I would have probably would have just shrugged it off as I'm absolutely fine. But I think I also covered a lot of it really well. So I only would have got comments, and this is standard for, unfortunately, but I got comments when I was probably, you know, losing too much weight. But I never would have been approached about any sort of like binging or purging because it was just all so secret. No one would have had any idea. Mm. Yeah, I think that just highlights a really valid point, doesn't it? That I think, you know, with eating disorders, often in society, I think we do tend to think that it's all about restriction. And we often express concern when someone becomes underweight. But, you know, as you and I know, 85% of people with eating disorders are not underweight. Often it's this disordered eating behaviours that are going on, aren't they, in secret? And there's so much shame and you're feeling just so isolated and lonely in your struggle. Oh, yeah, that's it. Like, there's no... (laughs) You will never know who is walking around with an eating disorder. It's exactly the same, I guess, with depression and anxiety. But it is quite sad. And actually, I went to the doctors a few times, but I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sick enough. I wasn't, but I was sick. I knew I was sick, but I wasn't thin enough or, you know, I didn't fit certain criteria. You know, I had a bit of everything, so I didn't fit into one solidly. So I wasn't giving the help, but... Absolutely. I think that is one thing that really does need to change that actually you'd have no idea the person next to you what's going on with their food habits. Yeah, and they're really true. So tell us a bit more, Elle, about your journey in recovery. Like what really helped you to sort of, you know, get on that road? 
I think the first step was definitely reaching out and telling my boyfriend at the time. I couldn't tell him in person. I found it too embarrassing. He wasn't with me for a weekend. So I wrote him an email, (laughs) very professional. But I wrote him an email just saying like, I need help. Like when you come back, you need to keep me accountable. And I asked him to every day ask me what's going on with you know my food and where am I at emotionally and just to check in a lot and that really helped me and I think for me personally the accountability was super important and then I had to go on the difficult journey of digging deep really and I think making peace with my younger self was a big step so when I was younger and I guess this is why I had the disordered eating and body dysmorphia I was really unkind to myself. I absolutely hated myself as a younger child. Not necessarily my personality as such, but my appearance. So, yeah, you know, I I sort of went back to my parents' house when they went there and, you know, removed all photos of me when I was younger. I couldn't bear for anyone to talk about me as a child. So I, I had to go back there and find some old photos, make a piece of myself, bring back a lot of emotion, a lot of memories, And that was really challenging. That was actually, yeah, that was really tough. But that also really helped sort of reduce sort of the emotional side to my connection to food in my body. And then like the last step, well, there's there's, there's been many steps, but just like, you know, three steps to talk about today. It's doing daily work. So the daily sort of affirmations and journaling and checking in with myself as regularly as possible which was exhausting and really difficult when I was out and about doing things being busy working hard I used to set reminders on my phone to just go and sit in a toilet and just check in with where I was and maybe even bang out some affirmations if I needed that sort of like if I need to sort of lift my spirits a little bit Mm. so it sounds like yeah quite a combination of things really but I think really struck by the value in telling your boyfriend, being open, being vulnerable, which was a really big first step, wasn't it? And actually being able to then check in with him and knowing that he cared and he was holding you accountable and sounds very supportive. Yeah, he was very supportive, but it doesn't mean he really understood it. So if there's Mm. anyone listening to this thinking, oh, I wouldn't be able to get that support from a partner, it wasn't that he understood it or, you know, went out to even try to understand it. He just knew that sending me a message at sort of three o'clock in the afternoon, for example, it's going to really help me because that was kind of a trigger hour for me. That period between then and sort of seven, eight o'clock was difficult times for me. So even him just actually keeping me accountable rather than trying to cure me or heal me was super helpful. Yeah, no, I think it's really helpful you clarifying that because I think, yeah, with the best will in the world, sometimes it is really hard to understand an eating disorder, isn't it? Unless you've experienced it yourself, you've been very close by to experiencing someone else having one but the fact that you were just proactive and almost asked him for what you needed and then he was able to respond to that even if he didn't completely understand it that was still incredibly helpful in itself yeah definitely and I think as well with that for me that really worked and actually if I had given him too much guidance on what to say to me it probably would have gone wrong because if you have got an eating disorder, you're highly sensitive to what people say around food. And actually, sometimes people can never get it right. They ask mm. you to eat it, then they are not happy with that. Or they don't ask you to eat it, you also then react to that. And actually, I've had that in the past. And, you know, it's really it can be really frustrating for someone supporting someone with a disordered eating because it is it is hard to understand. And it is 
sort of infuriating when you just really want somebody to eat or you know stop eating at a particular point or or whatever and I had had a comment in the past with a friend and she said to me we were in a restaurant I couldn't bring myself to eat the carbs that were on my plate and she said to me just eat it and it came from a place of love and care from her but I was like I wish I could it's just I just cannot so Mm -hmm. sometimes the person supporting can't actually get it right so even just being there sending that message that you've asked them to send or you know just checking in with you is enough yeah I think such a valid point because I think often with the best will in the world someone yeah giving advice or telling you what to do even if it comes with so much love and good intention actually it can make us feel more defensive can't it and because it's often not that we we often know what we need to do but it like you're saying like with the carbs on the plate then actually doing it is a whole nother thing so being supportive being there maybe listening you know more quietly in the background that itself is incredibly helpful rather than perhaps being given advice Yes, definitely. And there's that sort of saying that people assume you choose disordered eating, you know, but rarely you do. And actually, it's not a choice. I wasn't choosing to not eat the carbs that day. Well, it was, you know, it was kind of a physical choice, but actually mentally, I couldn't. Like, I remember that stage of my life, there was nothing within me that would allow myself to do that. That's how strong my ED voice was and how sort of how much power it had over me. So even though I had people in front of me that I knew were sort of watching and judging, you know, behind the scenes, nothing within me would have allowed myself to do that. And when you were sort of digging deep and making peace with your younger self and like going back and looking at photos, was that like an intuitive sort of in a recognition that that was going to be a helpful thing to do or was that prompted through therapy you know how did you sort of know that that was going to be a helpful part of the healing process yeah I saw a counsellor at one point which didn't actually really help me with the eating disorder part but when I was explaining to him that I you know I really did like myself when he was younger he asked me to bring in a photo of myself to show him And actually, I didn't end up carrying on the sessions with him. But just that comment made me think, well, that's interesting that he's asked me to bring a a photo in. So I thought, well, why don't I look at these photos myself? I also did a lot of reading. And I think I must have also read, because I think it's quite a common technique. So I think I must have read it somewhere to try and sort of immerse yourself in that person that you, you know, you disliked. And you know, I think I was quite resistant to it at first and thought, I don't really see how this is going to help. But actually, it really, it really did. And now I can look at photos of myself and just have so much compassion and sadness for the way that I treated myself. I felt awful. And that sort of visualisation where you sort of visualise yourself going back to that memory of like you stood in the playground and just giving yourself a big cuddle. It's really, I found it so helpful. Yeah, so it sounds like, yeah, in your healing journey, like really developing that real compassion and kindness and almost like that kind of inner parent where you could start to really nurture and be understanding of yourself. Like that was such an important part of the healing process. Yeah, definitely. And I used to visualize myself saying to myself, like, I promise you everything is going to work out. Like I know it is because I'm already here fast forward and I or it has worked out. And that that just comes with so much emotion because at that age of 10, 15, 20, you don't know whether it's going to work out for you. And it is all just a little bit too scary when you're battling these 
sort of food and body demons and trying to get through life and exams and school and college. It's a lot. Yeah, it's certainly a lot. So today, Elle, you're supporting people yourself and, you know, all these experiences have like accumulated in you now being able to support others through your own healing. And so can you tell us a bit about the work you're doing today with people? Yeah, so I work, as I mentioned at the start, mainly with women, but I have also worked with men to sort of really, yeah, really move through their disordered eating habits, whether it's just somebody that's just in that start of that dietary chaos, or whether they have been really struggling with the sort of binge eating and bulimia part and, and working with people to sort of uncover their lives, really, I find generally actually comes up. So sort of figuring out why they still have these relationships with food not necessarily like what how did they get it but why is it still alive how are they benefiting from it and I also really enjoy the sort of body dysmorphia part of of working with people because we haven't really spoken too much about that today but I think that's Mm -hmm. kind of comes hand in hand quite often with disordered eating but yeah, so it's really freeing people from their relationships with food and their bodies and ultimately helping them live like fulfilled lives because disordered eating the nickname is the life feed isn't it and it really does it it can totally take over and steal your life and as children we weren't taught how to move through these things and well even as not even as children even as adults we're not so it's kind of helping people and really supporting them out of it because to do it on your own is is difficult Thank you for sharing that. And can you say a bit more, Elle, about the body dysmorphia part? Because of I know in my work, I work with many people that obviously have quite a tricky body image, quite a negative body image. But I guess body dysmorphia is on another level, isn't it, really? And so could you just say more about that, please? Yeah, so body dysmorphia, it's where you you can have you can be very unsatisfied with your body or just several parts of your body. So you can really sort of obsess over things like the wrists or the hands or, you know, the stomach, but but it's a mental health condition. So it's not necessarily about the body. People can have this through traumatic experiences when they were younger, environment, genetics, hormone imbalances. It can be so many different reasons why people have this, but it's usually stopping you from going out and enjoying your life and doing things that you want to be doing and because you feel so uncomfortable with the way you look and you often struggle to find clothes that you want to wear hold sexual relationships often as well and I think people just put it down to oh I've got no body confidence or low self-worth or low body image but actually it's quite deep rooted and it's difficult to sort of get rid of it takes a lot of work so I think people underestimate how sort of how difficult it can be for people living with body dysmorphia. Mm. And with that aspect of your healing, what things were particularly important? So in addition to perhaps some of the other things you've already talked about, was there sort of specific skills or strategies that you put actively into place to really help you overcome it? It will be a lot of sort of what I spoke about before. So working through trauma whether it's you know so so for me those that being called those names was was trauma or it could be you know abandonment or you know quite severe trauma so making sure you work through that but also relearning beliefs so if your happiness at the moment is judged on how you look and what weight you are relearning sort of 
like that that's not true and actually your worth is so much more than that and what are you capable of doing so I took all focus off my weight all focus off my appearance and started really journaling hard about all the amazing things that I can do and that I was capable of and what I've already achieved in my life and what I'm going to achieve but it's a kind of it took a bit of a 360 approach it's not just focusing on the body it is also going to be healing healing the past and trying to sort of live a fulfilled life so building emotional resilience as well and making sure that if there's sort of gaps or voids in your lives where you're unhappy trying to fill those not that you'll necessarily be able to fill them all but just trying to see you know, what is it that's making you so unhappy in your life at the moment? Because quite often that's how it, it comes out as body dysmorphia or low body image. Yeah, no, it's really helpful for you to explain that. I guess it sounds like with body dysmorphia, as I guess sometimes eating disorders, but it's almost like your one's focus has become, you know, it's, it's just gone a bit off kilter, hasn't it? And you're almost like shining a light so much on one area of your life and linking that so much to your worth. But not consciously but once you kind of get in that tunnel it's really hard to see the wood for the trees isn't it and it sounds like for you like yeah kind of like stepping outside that tunnel almost starting to think about your hopes and dreams starting to recognize your worth in other areas of your life that helped you kind of slowly but surely begin to look at things differently yeah definitely and I had to find those voids in my life and I had to fill them. And that certainly helped a lot. And also a bit of scaremongering, you know, can can work for some people as well. You know, the thought for me, the thought of being 80 years old, not going to my grandkids' birthday parties because of didn't have a dress to wear. Or, you know, I used to have images of me turning up to these parties with protein shakes, which was, you know, what I would have done when I was younger. And I was like, no way no way and there's a question as well that is quite often used that sort of when you're on your deathbed looking back over your life like how do you want to be remembered and the thought of me thinking oh how much of a percentage of my life was consumed with how I looked and what I ate that scared me I was going to swear then but that scared me a lot and I was like that's such a waste and I'm not prepared to do that Yeah, no, it's such a great question, isn't it? To like really reflect on, you know, when you're on your deathbed and looking back and it is a bit scaremongering, but I think as well, it really helps bring into very sharp focus, doesn't it? What is important? What are your values? How do you want to be investing your time and energy? And, you know, I think for most of us, we're honest with ourselves, we don't want to be thinking about the number on the scales, do we? Or being isolated because we can't go out of the house because of we're so worried about how we look, you know, there's so many other things that are so much more important yeah absolutely and also because most of this isn't even like true well it's never true everyone is so beautiful and amazing in their own way and actually you've put your life on hold for things that aren't actually true in your head so you know that obsession with your part of your leg or your arm and that means you're not going you know to your party or your holiday I mean, it's not even, it's something that's in your head, but it's not even a thing. No one else is looking at this. No one else is noticing it. So you're putting your life on hold for absolutely nothing. Like, really nothing. Mm, Yeah. Our thoughts are not facts, are they? Although they often feel as though they are. They are just thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, when you're in it in that moment, you cannot negotiate out of that. 
sort of what you that's that's like Mm. when you're sort of getting ready to go to a party and you say oh I just look awful I can't go and your friend says you don't you look really nice there's no part of you when you're stuck in that nobody image or disordered eating there's no part of you that will listen to that and take it on you just won't which is Mm. sad so Elle where can people find you if they want to know more about the work you do Yes, so I am on Instagram, which is at I am L Mace, or the next thing would be my website, probably, which is www.lmace.com. Okay, lovely. Well, thank you for that, Ellen. I shall make sure that those details go in the show notes. Yes, yeah, absolutely. No, it's been so lovely talking to you, and thank you very much for having me. Yeah, well, thank you so much, Elle, for coming on the podcast and just for sharing your story and, you know, just for talking through some of those, you know, difficult times and things, you know, that I guess, you know, you can feel quite vulnerable talking about those things. But I think it's so helpful, just someone like yourself being so open and honest and helping other people just feel less alone and just having that hope and inspiration that recovery is absolutely possible. Oh, absolutely. You've said it there, recovery. If I, I have that saying, if I can do it, anyone can do it. And it's so important to talk about it. I wish when I was younger, I had heard stories about this from people more and well, even at all. So yeah, I'm always happy to share my story and I would always encourage anyone else to share theirs as well, because it is something that needs to be spoken about so much more. Yeah, lovely. Thanks so much, Elle. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Do go and check out all of Elle's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at the eating disorder therapist underscore. And for further support with your relationship with food, do go to the eating disorder therapist.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd be hugely grateful if you'd follow, rate and review as it helps it reach so many more listeners. Thank you so much for listening today. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.